Dog's Madness. For the first time ever in a multi-part episode, I am going to finally uh, uh, get a, get the cuts right so that we actually have an yeah. intro and an outro and all yeah. of them. So that's fun. Uh, new fact. The, the pod cave has changed since you last heard us 45 <laughs> seconds ago. It is now being, it's, Painter particularly, is now being eyed very heavily by uh, uh, comrades Brezhnev, Stalin, and Lenin yeah, in Matryoshka very- doll form. Uh, if you don't follow our Twitter, uh, go back, go follow our Twitter at Mark's Madness Pod. But I have my, my mother, uh, being the, the kind woman she was, went to a craft fair in Nashville and found a, a handmade in Russia set of. Uh, Matryoshka nesting dolls made out of now the, fir- the the largest two are Yeltsin and Gorbachev and those are obviously being yeah, torn. Those are not in the cave. My my child my child is using them in a in a Sid from Toy Story like fashion where he is using them for his own dark <laughs> machinations because I figure that to be fitting punishment. But but itty bitty teeny tiny Lenin is the cutest thing in the history of time. I love the pointiness of the he's little so beard. he's got such a pointy little head and he's so delightful. Yes. And then Papa Joe's little he's got his little pipe and he's just so delightful looking. Yes. So they 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 brighten the ambiance of the cave. And, and we can also store uh, illicit substances in them if we need to. So they, they, they serve multiple purposes. They're fantastic, and I love them. That being said, where we last left off, yes, uh, we were talking about on violence, and yeah. specifically we were talking about uh, negotiations uh, between the French and Algerian government, and we were talking about the concept of the na- uh, the the colonized man uh, recognizing that he's going to want needs to take the place of the settler and yeah. uh, how, how once he realizes that he's on the same level as the settler and that this is all just, you know, artificially constrained bullshit, he no longer needs to fear him. He just needs to plan methods of extracting him. Yeah. One thing he said plainly was that as soon as the settler is on equal ground with the colonized, he wants no part of the entire relationship. He just wants out. There is no oh, dual. There is no two two state yeah. solution. Once you realize that you've been, that yeah, your you're land not going to reason stolen. with him or gain respect. There was none of that. It was all about exploitation. As soon as the exploitation's gone, so is the colonizer. Yep. So the settlers gone with it. So we have said that the colonial context is characterized by the dichotomy which it imposes upon the whole people. Decolonization unifies that people by the radical decision to remove from it its heterogeneity and by unifying it on a national, sometimes a racial, basis. We know the fierce words of the Senegalese patriots referring to the maneuvers of their president, Senghor. We have demanded that the higher post should be given to Africans, and now Senghor is Africanizing the Europeans. That is to say that the native can clearly see and immediately if decolonization has come to pass or not, for his minimum demands are simply that the last shall be first. But the native intellectual brings variance to this petition, and in fact, he seems to have good reasons. Higher civil servants, technicians, specialists, all seem to be needed. Now, the ordinary native interprets these unfair promotions as so many acts of sabotage, and he's often heard to declare it wasn't worthwhile then, are are becoming independent. In the colonial countries where a real struggle for freedom has taken place, where the blood of the people has flowed, and where the length of the period of armed warfare has favored the backward surge of intellectuals towards bases grounded in the people, we can observe a genuine eradication of the superstructure built by these intellectuals from the bourgeois colonist environment. The colonialist bourgeoisie, in its narcissistic dialogue, expounded by the members of its universities, had in fact deeply implanted in the minds 
minds of the colonized intellectual that the essential qualities remain eternal in spite of all the blunders men may make. The essential qualities of the West, of course. The native intellectual accepted the cognacy of these ideas, and deep down in his brain, you could always find a vigilant sentinel ready to defend the Greco-Latin pedestal. Now it so happens that during the struggle for liberation, at the moment that the native intellectual comes into touch again with his people, this artificial sentinel is turned into dust. All the Mediterranean values, the triumph of the human individual, of clarity and of beauty, become lifeless, colorless knickknacks. All those speeches seem like collections of dead words. Those values which seem to uplift the soul are revealed as worthless, simply because they have nothing to do with the concrete conflict in which the people is engaged. Individualism is the first to disappear. Good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The native intellectual had learnt from his masters that the individual ought to express himself fully. The the colonialist bourgeoisie had hammered in the native's mind the idea of a society of individuals where each person shuts himself up in his own subjectivity and whose only wealth is individual thought. Now the native has the opportunity to return to the people during the struggle for freedom will discover the falseness of this theory. The very forms of organization of the struggle will suggest to him a different vocabulary. Brother, sister, friend. These are words outlawed by the colonialist bourgeoisie because for them, my brother is my purse. My friend is part of my scheme for getting on. The native intellectual takes part in a sort of auto da fe... I don't know what the uh, I got means. nothing. <laughs> in the destruction of all his idols. Egoism, recrimination that springs from pride, and the childish stupidity of those who always want to have the last word. Such a colonized intellectual dusted over by colonial culture will in the same way discover the substance of the village assemblies, the cohesion of people's committees, and the extraordinary fruitfulness of local meeting and groupments. Henceforward, the interest of one will be the interest of all, for in concrete fact, everyone will be discovered by the troops, everyone will be massacred, or everyone will be saved. The model look out for yourself, the atheist method of salvation, in this context is forbidden." Which makes sense. Again, this is an all. It's it. Let ooh, you want you want to really twist this into some fucked up shit? Uh, Benny Franks, yep. old old fucking weirdo Benny Franks. Uh, uh, we all hang together. What is it? We all stand together, or we'll all hang separately, or something yeah. like that. Same concept. Same concept. It, it is not. It's not like some of you. Whenever are you're sp- fighting the greater power, that's the way. Yes. something you have to realize. If, if you're and if you're decolonizing, or if you're in, let's say in America, if you're in America and you're going up against the U.S. government, there are not pockets. There is one side. You either either everyone is going to rise up and it's going to get on the equal level, or the government's going to win. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, that the capitalism is all going to win. I mean, or or at this point, it's it's accelerated the clock because it did that whole thing where it turned the Earth against us as well. <laughs> it was a neat. Yeah. It was a cute little play to make sure that we it had a backup plan. Um, and just just to push that even further for uh, meat cattle down in Brazil, uh, and, and again, I don't think boycotting is is a magical way to solve problems. I don't think you know there's a reason we talk about there's no ethical consumerism, but nope. obviously something to cut back on, particularly beef. Yes. I would strongly encourage in the first place, especially after this. Um, but they're burning like their companies because they want cattle land. Burning, burning down the Amazon and the the Brazilian government, of course, is is for this. Oh yeah. Care. Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, we knew this the second Bolsonaro was going in. We, the Economist was was singing his praises because the thing was the Amazon. It's open for business. You know, indi- indigenous groups being murdered by taking the Amazon away. Be damned. You know, the environmental impacts of taking away the lungs of the earth while we're staring down global warming. There, be damned. I mean, they're going to destroy the most biodiverse 
eco yeah, system and they're gonna on kill, the face of the planet. And they're they're genociding for Big Macs. And and they're genociding tons and tons of indigenous people in the meantime. It's it's so. it's and as I mean, uh, I mean the the as it's not like the substitutes to it are great. You know, it's not like I'm I'm a vegan. I eat match meat. I'm a good person. No, yeah, no, no, they're run by capitalists too. Yeah, um, and the capitalists will plant soy in the Amazon if if you and, don't if they thought it, exactly whatever's yeah. going to be profitable. But in the here and now, yeah, make beef less profitable for them. It's the yeah. best thing. You, if you wanted two things that you could really fuck people up with, make beef and corn. Not profitable to grow. Oh, you will fuck some capitalists up hard and hard and fast. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, you know, more direct action. This should be sharpening our tools uh, for you know our own. Uh, <coughs> burn down all the corn. Oh, I not burn down all the corn. I got chicken in my throat. Oh, He's wait. got chicken in his throat. Don't worry. Not we're doing we're doing charades. Don't burn down all the corn. Uh, ride. Go free the cows. Ride the cows out of Brazil. Ooh, mount okay. mount right, the cows. Anyway. anyway. Um, for, for our own revolution. This is sharpen our tools for our own revolution. Um, and that way we can stand against people like Bolsonaro and defend, you know, the indigenous people uh, down in Brazil. And this should also be something where an action that's being taken a lot of places around the world is they're taking over embassies. They're seizing Brazilian embassies, mm. you know. And so that's something well, that I would I'd strongly encourage, you know, people to take part in if possible. Yes. Is there a Brazilian, is there a Brazilian embassy nearby? Mm, I think it's in D.C. Motherfucker. <laughs> Why is none of the fun shit here? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, self-criticism. Self-criticism. Oh, let's self-crit, baby. Self-criticism has been much talked about of late. This was being written in 1961. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, th- we were in the Cultural Revolution for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but few people realize it is an African institution. Whether it is, whether in the oh hello, uh, uh, I think I'm thinking it's pronounced Jamas, but we'll probably uh, it is on a that. it is yeah it's an Af- D D J E M A A S uh, village assemblies is the Ameri- is the uh, European translation mm-hmm. there um, of Northern Africa or in the meaning of Western Africa. Tradition demands that the quarrels which occur in a village should be settled in public. It is communal self criticism. Of course, and with a note of humor, because everyone is relaxed and ever, and because in the last resort, we all want the same things. But the more the intellectual imbibes the atmosphere of the people, the more completely he abandons the habits of calculation, of unwanted silence, of mental reservations, and shakes off the spirit of concealment. And it is true that already at the level, we can say that the community triumphs and that it spreads its own light and its own reason. But it so happens sometimes that decolonization occurs in areas which have not been sufficiently shaken by the struggle for liberation. And there may be found some of the same know-all, smart, wily intellectuals. We find enact in them the manners and forms of thought picked up during their association with the colonialist bourgeoisie. Spoilt children of yesterday's colonialism and of today's national governments, they organized the loot of whatever national resources exist. Without pity, they use today's national distress as a means of getting on through, scheming, and legal robbery by import-export combines, limited liability companies, gambling on the stock exchange, or unfair promotion. Hey, y'all remember that? We did a whole book on it. It was called imperialism. Yeah. Yeah. They're insistent on their demands for the nationalization of commerce, that is to say, the reservation of markets and advantageous bargains for nationals only. As far as doctrine is concerned, they proclaim the pressing necessity of nationalizing the robbery of the nation. In this arid phase of national life, the so-called period of austerity, the success of their depredations is swift to call forth the violence and anger of the people. For the same people, poverty-stricken yet independent, comes very quickly to possess a social consciousness and the African and international context of today, and this petty individualist will quickly learn. 
Uh, good uh, thing that comes to mind when I read that paragraph is uh, Haiti. And, uh, it's always Haiti. Yeah, it's always Haiti. The always president Haiti. that was cooed in in 2004 by Bush, uh, Aristide, um, was booted out in a coup. And I can't remember who the president is now. And they've elected a couple other ones. But it, it's basically this ruling party that forced its way in by a U.S. coup to be a U.S. puppet. And uh, there have been very, very strong uprisings uh, against the embezzled money that's been coming in from Venezuela for, like, hurricane relief. Uh, meanwhile, U.S. Marines have, you know, just magically popped up there from time to time uh, and the, the very very violent repression of the protests yes so yeah. I'm doing fun with Troy Skadal ASMR over here while, yeah. while y'all are yeah care of that. I don't go. know it's very distracting <laughs> Pat and Brezhnev on the head how you doing all right in order to assimilate and to experience the oppressor's culture, the native has to leave certain of his intellectual possessions in pawn. These pledges include his ad- adoption of the forms of thought of the colonialist bourgeoisie. This is very noticeable in the inaptitude of the native intellectual to carry on a two-sided discussion, for he cannot eliminate himself when confronted with an object or an idea. On the other hand, when once he belo- begins to mitigate among the people he is struck with wonder and amazement, he is literally disarmed by their good faith and honesty. The danger that will haunt him continually is that of becoming the uncritical mouthpiece of the masses. He becomes a kind of yes-man who nods assent at every word coming from the people, which he interprets as considered judgment. Now the fella, the unemployed man, the starving native, do not lay claim to the truth. They do not say that they represent the truth, for they are the truth. (laughs) Objectively, the intellectual behaves in this phase like a common opportunist. Oh, we know all about those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, In fact, he has not stopped maneuvering. There is never any question of his being either rejected or welcomed by the people. What they ask is simply that all the resources should be pooled. The inclusion of the native intellectual in this upward surge of the masses will in this case be differentiated by a curious cult of detail. That is not to say the people are hostile to the analysis. On the contrary, they like having things explained to them. They are glad to understand a line of argument and they do see where they are going. But at the beginning of his association with the people, the native intellectual overstresses details and thereby comes to forget that the defeat of colonialism is the real object of the struggle. Carried away by the multitudinous aspects of the fight, he tends to concentrate on local tasks, performed with enthusiasm but almost always too solemnly. He fails to see the whole of the movement all all the time. He introduces the idea of special disciplines, of special functions, of departments within the terrible stone... Terrible stone crusher, the fierce mixing machine, which is a popular revolution. He is occupied in action and on a particular front, and it so happens he loses sight of the unity of the movement. Thus, if a local defeat is inflicted, he may well be drawn into doubt and from thence to despair. The people, on the other hand, will take their stand from the start on the broad and inclusive positions of bread in the land. How can we obtain the land and the bread we eat? And this obstinate point of view of the masses, which may seem shrunken and limited, is in the end the most worthwhile and the most efficient mode of the procedure. Yeah, it, it, when you get too caught up in, in these little, you know, your little local fiats or whatever it is, your little, lo- you know, your particular little initiative, and that fails, you go, oh, well, it's all got No, no, focus on the bigger picture. Look at the bigger, stop getting caught up in, the, in these little colonialist imposed eccentricities and focus on our, on on the mass struggle are we are, are yeah. we all moving in the same direction and is that direction 
freeing, ridding ourselves of the colonizers and taking the land. Back. Well, and that's something we. I mean, this is one of the reasons we got to hear this book. It's something we really got to hear. You know, I mean, it's it's nationalism and yeah. the national unity for their li- decolonial liberation is of the utmost importance, and the people are pressing on that way as a mass. And yet, you know, I mean, that's something the CIA is particularly good at is like kind of knifing in and wedging into the the little you know disagreements and struggles and things like that and amplifying them and look you know listen to this person from such and such and their expertise and blah 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 you know do you call it nationalism because mm. I don't think Fanon I don't think Fanon was fun, I mean ba- again I'm reaching forward here but I don't think Fanon is very fond of nationalism mm. I don't think that's his I, no, I understand but... the I understand the concept I understand that you know because again it is you're you're but I, I don't think it's nationalism because I think he sees nationalism as dangerous. Um, yeah. For for all the reasons that we know, nationalism is dangerous. It's not nationalism that you're relying on. It's this was our land and we should be able to self determine. That's that's different from nationalism, I think. And I don't how I don't know. Yeah. Um, but not. I think that was one of I think that was one of the weaknesses at the end of Fanon's analysis, maybe we'll get there as we go. But he is not. He says we got to be careful of nationalism because it leads to bad consequences which we absolutely know it does but also you're a blonde, you're you know kind of organizing yourself around semi-nationalist lies. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's it's a matter of what kind of nationalism. You know, if it's nationalism that's going to be antagonistic to surrounding nations, you know, that's a problem. If it's nationalism against a colonizer, I don't think it's it's different than what Fanon wants. I get that, but at what point does the one not trend into the other? How do you how do you say I am superior to this group of people who I kick out? Then what? Then then when does that does that? What's the natural termination point there? I guess when you get national, when you get some original boundaries that you think you deserve back, or or do you then push forward into other areas? I mean, I guess uh, I guess I think I, it's hard. I guess yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really have the authority to to make that determination. But I don't I, either. I, I don't. I don't. I think it's worth say, talking about. Yeah, I think it's worth talking about, but I don't want to just say like, well, uh, nationalism is bad on the decolonial front and and dangerous because it's it's that's too broad. It, it it's too broad. But again, nationalism is a, a. I only bring it up because nationalism is a very loaded word. Yeah, nationalism is, is a word that has loaded. very very negative connotations for very very good reasons because ninety nine point nine percent of the time in the history of the world that nationalism has been wielded, it's been wielded against other people, um, usually to colonize somebody of sure. some sort. Um, and and especially in this country right now, it's very dangerous. I mean, sure, it, but like, does a national say a nationalization of like China to not have the U.S. interfere and try to break away Hong Kong, even though Hong Kong's already autonomous? You know, is that bad? And is that not a form of national? Is that national? So I guess it's, it's at least national pride. It's it is, and I guess it's the difference between I guess there can be a difference between nationalism and like jingoism to a certain yeah. extent. Um, or uh, oh, what's the fucking word for your country is better? Uh, Supremacy? No, sort of, but like Euro. No, ethnocentric. Oh, eth- eth- ethnocentrism. Yeah, like ethnocentrism and that kind of yeah. thing. Like the concept that you're civilized. I don't yeah. know. It's I, again. I'm not bringing it up to disagree. I just no. I, think I it mean is. that's a worthwhile conversation, but it's going to be a hard one to have. It is, and especially so, for uh, us two dudes in a basement. No, no, no. And this, this, so this is where again, this is where we reach out, and this is again, you, you know, Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Anyone in Discords, anyone that knows where to find us, we're we're pretty easy to find. Um, 
what I mean, is there a better answer to that? Because I think that is I think that is a valid point of discussion within this book. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think we have a. I don't think I I know I for a fact don't have a fucking good answer to it. Is what yeah. is what is the where is the line between good nationalism and bad nationalism, and how do you how do you distinguish the two? Yeah, but where I'm gonna put myself down here is is again, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here like you know, I know better about decolonization than Fanat. I mean, hell no, right? No, but. I am going to say that I take the stand that, you know, uh, nationalism of a colonized people is good and nationalism of a colonizing people or an uncolonized people is bad. Okay. I think that's fair enough. That's, I think it's a fair enough, fair enough distinction. That's and that's where I'm going to put the distinction, and the rest I think is a good, healthy discussion for people to have. And if anyone else wants to come on, you know, come on, we're yeah. we're here. We'll call yeah. you in. We'll talk. Absolutely. Uh, so moving on to Fanon, the problem of truth ought to be also considered. In every age among the people, truth is the property of the national cause. No absolute verity, no discourse on the purity of the soul can shake this position. The native replies to the living lie of the colonial situation by an equal falsehood. His dealings with his fellow nationals are open. They are strained and incomprehensible with the regard to the settlers. Truth is that which hurries the breakup of the colonial regime. It is that which promotes the emergence of the nation it is all that protects the natives and ruins the foreigners. In this colonialist context, there is no truthful behavior, and the good is quite simply that which evil, which is evil for them. The big air quotes. Big, them. Yeah, big air quotes. Thus, we see that the primary Manchinism which governed colonial society is preserved intact during the period of decolonization. That is to say, the settler never ceases to be the enemy, the opponent, the foe that must be overthrown. The oppressor in his own sphere starts the process, a process of domination, of exploitation, and of pillage. And in the other sphere, the coiled, plundered creature, which is the natives, which is the native, provides fodder for the process as best he can. The process which moves uninterruptedly from the banks of the colonial territory to the palaces and the docks of the mother country. In this becalmed zone, the sea has a smooth surface. The palm trees stir gently in the breeze. The waves lap against the pebbles and raw materials are ceaselessly transported, justifying the presence of the settler. And all the while, the native, bent double, more dead than alive, exists interminably in an unchanging dream. The settler makes history. His life is an epoch, an odyssey. Capital O, like the book. <laughs> yeah. He is an apt He's the absolute beginning. This land was created by us. He is the unceasing cause. If we leave, all is lost, and the country will go back to the Middle Ages. Over against him, torpid creatures, wasted by fevers, obsessed by ancestral customs, form an almost inorganic background for the innovating dynamism of colonial mercantilism. That, oh, God, just the white supremacy all left, right, and center of, of Yeah, Oh, yeah, I mean, very, very fair. Like, They'll go back to their savage ways. Yeah. And, you know, that's yeah. exactly what yeah, Fanon's. Why we had to why we had to go to Iraq and give them democracy so that they could slowly spread democracy to the rest right. of the world. We have so to democracy. Spread, democracy. Yeah, we are we are the keepers of democracy. democracy. We have to spread our democracy. Here's some democracy. Would you know. like some democracy today? Yeah, I'll look look at that bomb to the bomb falling. It's got democracy. Freedom! Democracy's gonna blow up everywhere. It's good democracy. So the settler makes history and is conscious of making it. And because he constantly refers to the history of his mother country, he clearly indicates that he himself is the extension of that mother country. Thus is the history which he writes is not the history of the country which he plunders, but the history of his own nation in regard to all that she skims off, all that she violates and starves. Keep going. The immobility to which the native is condemned can only be called in question if the native decides to put an end to the history of the colonialization, the history of pillage, and to bring into existence the history of the nation, the history of decolonization. 
A world divided into compartments, a motionless, mannequinistic world, a world of statues, the statue of the general who carried out the conquest, the statue of the engineer who built the bridge, a world which is sure of itself, which crushes with its stones the backs flayed by whips. This is the colonial world. The native is a being hemmed in. Apartheid is simply one form of the division into compartments of the colonial world. The first thing which the native learns is to stay in his place and not to go beyond certain limits. This is why the dreams of the native are always of muscular prowess. His dreams are of uh, action and of aggression. I dream I am jumping, swimming, running, climbing. I dream that I burst out laughing, that I span a river in one stride, or that I am followed by a flood of motor cars which never catch up to me. During the period of colonization, the native never stops achieving his freedom from nine in the evening until six in the morning. That is such a poignant (laughs) sentence right there. That is such a poignant. And again, one that I cannot connect with because I'm never going to be able to connect with it. Yeah, but every time he's not toiling for the master, he's he's, he's earning his freedom. That's where yeah. he that's you know, when he's asleep, when he's dreaming. Yeah. That's when he that's when he's, you know, getting for it's it's just mm-hmm. so crazy. The colonized man will first manifest his aggressiveness, which has been deposited in his bones against his own people. This is the period when the uh, mm-hmm. blacks uh, beat up each other, and the police and the magistrates do not know which way to turn when faced with the astonishing waves of crime in North Africa. We shall see later how this phenomenon shall be judged. When the native is confronted with the colonial order of things, he finds he is in a state of permanent tension. The settler's world is a hostile world, which spurns the native, but at the same time is a world which he is envious. We have seen that the native never ceases of dreaming of putting himself in the place of the settler, not of becoming the settler, but of substituting himself for the settler. This hostile world, ponderous and aggressive because it fends off the colonized masses with all the harshness it is capable of, represents not merely a hell from which its swiftest flight is possible, but desirable, but also a paradise close at hand which is guarded by terrible watchdogs. The native is always on the alert, for since he can only make out with difficulty the many symbols of the colonial world, he is never sure whether or not he has crossed the frontier. Confronted with a world ruled by the settler, the native is always presumed guilty. But the native's guilt is never a guilt which he accepts. It is rather a kind of curse, a sword of Damocles, for in his innermost spirit, the native admits no accusation. He is overpowered, but not tamed. He is treated as an inferior, but he is not convinced of his inferiority. He is patiently waiting until the settler is off his guard to fly at him. The native's muscles are always tensed. You cannot say that he is terrorized or even apprehensive. He is, in fact, ready at a moment's notice to exchange the role of the quarry for that of the hunter. The native is an oppressed person whose permanent dream is to become the persecutor. The symbols of social order, the police, the bugle calls in the barracks, military parades, and the waving flags are at one and the same time inhibitory and stimulating. For they do not convey the message, don't dare to budge. Rather, they cry out, get ready to attack. And in fact, if the native had any tendency to fall asleep and to forget the settler's how-tour and the settler's anxiety to test the strength of the colonial system would remind him at every turn that the great showdown cannot be put off indefinitely. That impulse to take the settler's place implies a tonicity of muscles the whole time. And in fact, we know that in certain emotional conditions, the presence of an obstacle accentuates the tendency towards motion. That whole paragraph, I'm just totally thinking of police brutality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, the settler-native relationship is a mass relationship. The settler pits brute force against the weight of numbers. He's an exhibitionist. His preoccupation with security makes him remind the native out loud that he alone is master. The settler keeps alive in the native an anger which he deprives of outlet. The native is trapped in the tight links of chains of colonialism. But we have seen that inwardly the settler can only achieve a pseudo-petrification. The native's muscular tension finds an outlet regularly and blood thirsty explosions and tribal warfare infused between seps and quarrels between between individuals. So you see, again, a lot of this, when you're in the colonized position, when the colonized, when the colonized person thinks he does not have recourse against the colonizer, he still has that rate. There's that rage that is going to build up within you. And it has to be outlets somewhere. And that, so again, what uh, this makes me think, Dog whistle. Oh, well, look at all the the black on black crime and the inner all all this bull all these bullshit mm-hmm. narratives. Well, yeah, you fucking go in and oppress. Like again, if they if 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 anyone moves so much as moves right now, they're getting fucking shot by police on sight. Yeah, when you have that feeling of powerlessness, you're going to try and take power in any way that you can. Mm-hmm. I can't even understand. Again, I can't connect with that level of. Of rage and, 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 and like impotent rage, but if you can't fucking at least conceptualize it, what the fuck are you doing? I, I'm surprised you didn't go with another the way you go to Fred Hampton and talk about one thing that Fred Hampton did that was kind of the last straw that, that got the FBI to go in and kill him was Rainbow Coalition. Uh, he was uniting the gangs. Yeah, the Rainbow Coalition. Yeah. yeah. He was uniting gangs in, in order to, to drive, you know, against the oppressor. Yeah. And yeah. Well, because when you recognize that, when you recognize that, that all of this, and he, and again, we, we, you can do whole episodes. But, uh, Rev Left did a great episode, great, great episode on, on mm-hmm. Fred Hampton. But again, yeah, when you, when you go to the gang, and he was so good because he'd go to the gangs and he wouldn't force them together. He would say, hey, hey, do you, here's our presentation. Here's what we want. Do you want to help? Do you want to disseminate information? In, or, or is it okay if we disseminate information mm-hmm. in your territory? And some people would say no, and some people would say yes. But a lot of times, that saved Fred's life for a long time because there were, the FBI would put out hits on him and try and convince gang members that for, that the Black Panthers would put out a hit on them. And the gang leaders would be like, fuck you. I, I know that guy. Like, I may not agree with him. I may not have let him come into my territory, but I fucking know him. I mean, he's not going to put a hit on me. What the fuck are you talking about? And then that would bring people into the coalition. I mean, it was, yeah, yeah. no, that was absolutely of all the other things. That's what got Fred Hampton killed. As soon as you got the, the Latin gangs, the black gangs, uh, disaffected white, you got everyone together recognizing, Oh fuck. We got a common cause. Oh, he got killed real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Quick and in a hurry. Yeah, that's it's it's that's the big no no that the that the uh, you know our, our overlords. You can you can like. do a lot of things, but the second you start organizing people on class lines and recognizing who is and who is not the oppressor, you've got problems. Yes. <laughs> so I'm waiting any day now for our FBI handlers to come into the cave. <laughs> any day now. Where individuals are concerned, a positive negation of common sense is evident. While the settler or the policeman has the right. Uh, has the right the live long day that is a weird sentence to strike the native to insult him and to make him crawl to them you will see the native reaching for his knife at the slightest hostile or aggressive glance cast on him by another native for the last resort of the native is to defend his personal- personality vis-a-vis his brother tribal feuds only serve to perpetuate old grudges buried deep in the memory by throwing themselves with all his force into the vendetta the native tries to persuade himself that colonialism does not exist that everything is going on as before that his 
history continues. Here on the level of communal organizations, we clearly discern the well-known behavior patterns of avoidance. It is as if plunging into a fraternal bloodbath allowed them to ignore the obstacle or to pull it off till a later choice. Nevertheless, inevitable, which opens up the question of armed resistance to colonialism. Thus, collective auto-destruction in a very concrete form is one of the ways in which the native's muscular tension is set free. All these patterns of conduct are those are those of the death flex when faced with anger, a suicidal behavior which proves to the settler whose existence and domination is by them all the more justified Mm -hmm. that these men are not reasonable human beings. Not that colonized people, not that white people ever kill each other for petty-ass bullshit reasons. No, of course. Never. But look at those, they kill each other. They're They're less than human. Yeah. In the same way, the native manages to bypass a settler. A belief in fatality removes all blame from the oppressor. The cause of misfortunes and of poverty is attributed to God. He is fate. In this way, the individual accepts the disintegration ordained by God, bows down before the settler and his lot, and by a kind of interior restabilization, acquires a stony calm. Meanwhile, however, life goes on, and the native will strengthen the inhibitions which constrain his aggressiveness by drawing on the terrifying myths which are so frequently found in the underdeveloped communities. There are maleficent spirits which intervene every time a step is taken in the wrong direction. Leopard men, serpent men, six-legged dogs, zombies, a whole series of tiny animals or giants, which create around the native a world of prohibitions, of barriers, and of inhibitions far more terrifying than the world of the settler. This magical superstructure which permeates native society fulfills certain well-defined functions in the dynamism of the libido. Here comes the dicks. Yeah, here comes the dicks. One of the characteristics of underdeveloped societies is the, in fact, that the libido is first and foremost the concern of a group or of the family. The feature of communities whereby a man who dreams that he has sexual relations with a woman other than his own must confess it in public and pay a fine in kind or in working days to the injured husband or family is fully described by ethnologists. We may note in passing that this proves that the so-called prehistoric societies attach great importance to the unconscious. Yeah. I feel like we're getting into some forward shit here. Yeah, uh, before before we get into the, the Freudian dick fest, um, I did want to... to uh, point out that um, the the settler, the the colonizer, the cause of the misfortune is blamed on God. It's fate, you know. Whatever is a way of dusting yeah. it off, and that's that's something that very much happens. You know, oh, very blatantly. Yeah. If yeah, it still happens. I mean, there's there's a reason Billy Graham was such a big piece of shit. You know, I mean, it's it's there were lots of reasons Billy Graham was such a big okay. piece of shit. I mean, yeah, could, but. But, I mean, that that's a huge outlet. You know, I mean, this is the way God wants it. It's not my fault that they're oppressed people, that, that things have been made that way. And that's something kind of to uh, anthropologists. Anthropologists have gotten kind of this this wave of materialism that they've pulled from Marx. And they've tried to explain colonialism. And the best way to do it in the anthropological anthropological way is, oh, you know, Europe, you know, didn't have the same resources. And so they had to expand out and take. And that's kind of... That's kind of racist in and of itself. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's kind of... That's a little bit of a problem. That feels very like Jared Diamond stuff, and no one likes that motherfucker. Yeah, like, oh, my God. You know, and then not not in a religious, like, God made it this way, but essentially, like, oh, the world was just this way, and it's just how it had to happen. And no. Guns, germs, and steel. Get fucked. Yeah, I mean, come on now. Yeah. You know, I come mean, the, the fact of the matter is guns were around in Asia. Asia had the same climate distribution. Asia had more dense populations. They didn't go out and colonialize everywhere except for Japan. You know, I mean, it was just Europe. So, yeah, that's not a good, compelling argument. But there's 
There's that in very explicitly in a lot of white supremacist circles. There is. Now, David, stop avoiding the dick talk and dive into the dicks. All right, dick time. God damn it. The atmosphere of myth and magic frightens me and so takes on an undoubted reality. By terrifying me, it integrates me in the traditions and the history of my district or of my tribe. And at the same time, it reassures me. It gives me a status, as it were an identification paper. In underdeveloped countries, the occult sphere is a sphere belonging to the community, which is entirely under magical dur- jurisdiction. By entangling myself in this inextricable network where actions are repeated with crystalline inevitability, I find the everlasting world which belongs belongs to me and the perennially perenniality which is thereby affirmed in the world belonging to us. Believe me, the zombies are more terrifying than the settlers, and in consequence, the problem is no longer that of keeping oneself right with the colonial world and its barbed wire entanglements, but considering three times before urinating, spitting, or going out into the night. The supernatural, magical powers reveal themselves as essentially personal. The settler's powers are infinitely shrunken, stamped with the alien or, with their alien origin. We no longer really need to fight against them since what counts is the frightening enemy created by myth. We perceive that all is settled by a permanent confrontation on the phantasmic plane. It has always happened in the struggle for freedom that such a people, formerly lost in an imaginary maze, a prey to unspeakable terrors yet happy to lose themselves in a dreamlike torment, such a people becomes unhinged, reorganizes itself, and in blood and tears gives birth to a very real and immediate action. Feeding the Mujahideens, posting sentinels, coming to the help of families which lack bare necessities, or taking the place of a husband who has been killed or imprisoned, such a concrete task to which the people are called during the struggle of freedom. Now, I want to clarify that that's the general term mujihadines, which are just you know Muslim soldiers. Yeah. That for the spread of not the mujihadine as in like the far right fascist Wahhabists in Afghanistan in the the seventies and eighties. Correct. I'm talking yes. like that is a that is a word that ha- that that is a literal that they just uh, appropriated for themselves. Yeah, they just appropriated and then broke up into like ISIS and Al Qaeda. And He's talking about just specifically yeah. soldiers dedicated to the Muslim cause. Period. Yeah. In a very general sense. Yeah. And there's something very very specific about that whole paragraph too. You know, I mean, something happens and and. It's basically it's forged in blood and tears. They they come together and all of a sudden there's this very communal feeling, you know, and they mm-hmm. jump in. Coming to the help of families where they lack bare necessities, taking the place of a husband who's been killed or in prison. These are concrete tasks. These are the things that people go out and do. These are what you should organize. Satisfying for. people's material conditions is the only thing that will ever allow them to join a cause. Mm-hmm. Period. You have and that again, this is the Fred Hampton episode. But Fred got that better Sherman Fred got that better than anybody else. You yeah. have to satisfy everyone's material con- which is why the Black Panther set up daycares and hospitals and, and breakfast w- and, and literacy. All of it. And all kinds of stuff. Legal yeah. defense, all of that. It was all set so that because people cannot be part of the revolution if their material conditions, they can't even think about revolution if their material conditions aren't being met because that's always going to be your base. Mm-hmm. You have to get that taken care of first. And this, again, they recognize the ALN and the FLN absolutely recognize that in Algeria. Yep. In the colonial world, the emotional sensitivity of the native is kept on the surface of his skin, like an open sore which flinches from the caustic agent. And the psyche shrinks back, obliterates itself, and finds outlet in muscular demonstrations which have caused certain very wise men to say that the native is in a hysterical type. This sensitive emotionalism, watched by invisible keepers who are, however, in unbroken contact with the core of the personality, will find its fulfillment through eroticism and the driving forces behind the crisis's disillusion. 
long paragraph, I have a feeling dicks are coming up. Take it away, Damon! <laughs> On another level, we see the native's emotional sensibility exhausting itself in dances which are more or less ecstatic. This is why any study of the colonial world should take into consideration the phenomena of the dance and of possession. The native's relaxation takes precisely the form of a muscular orgy in which the most acute aggressivity of the most impelling violence are canalized, transformed, and conjured away. The circle of the dance is a permissive circle. It protects and permits. At certain times on certain days, men and women come together at a given place and there, under the solemn eye of the tribe, fling themselves into a seemingly unorganized pantomime, which in reality extremely systematic, in which by various means shakes at the head, bending of the spinal column, throwing back of the whole body, may be deciphered as an open book of a huge effort of a community to exercise itself, to liberate itself, to explain itself. There are no limits inside the circle. To hillock up which you have been toiled as if to be nearer to the moon, the river bank down which you slip as if you show a connection between the dance and the ablutions. ablutions. Cleansing and purification, these are sacred places. There are no limits. For reality, your purpose is coming together as to allow the accumulation libido, the hampered aggressivity, to dissolve into a volcanic eruption. Symbological killings. Symbolical. 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 God damn it. (laughs) Symbolical killings, fantastic rides, imaginary mass murders, all must have be brought out. The evil humors are untamed and flow away as with the din of molten lava. Haven't gotten there yet. Oh, I see vampire. Oh, this is gonna be a fun one. One step further, and you are completely possessed. In fact, these are actually or they these are actually organized seances of possession and exorcism. They include vampirism, possession by jinn, by zombies, and by Legba, the famous god of the voodoo. This disintegrating of the personality, this splitting and dissolution, all this fulfills a primordial function in the organism of the colonial world. When they set out, the men and women were impatient, stamping their feet in a state of nervous excitement. When they return, peace has been restored to the village. It is once more calm and unmoved. Uh, this feels very much like a religion is the opiate of the masses kind of thing. Yeah, you know, this it, it feels might be. very much like this is a it's a catharsis it's a catharsis to replace actual action against the thing that's oppressing you, but it it, it somehow is a release valve. Yeah, I'm to also some wondering of that if I misremembered the dicks as again black. Skins, I think white the dicks maybe black skin white masks. I didn't remember dicks. Of, there was a lot of dicks and black skins white masks. Well, I mean Freud was around. They were doing yeah, stuff. Yeah. He was a psychologist. If you're not talking about dicks, you're not doing it right. <laughs> no. During the struggle for freedom, a marked alienation from these practices is observed. The native's back is to the wall. The knife is to his throat. Or more precisely, the electrode at his genitals. Oh, fuck. There's, well, the, there's, there's a dick. There's a dick. There's a dick. We will have no more call for his fancies. After. After centuries of unreality, after having wallowed in the most outlandish phantoms, at long last the native, gun in hand, stands face to face with the only forces which contend for his life, the forces of colonialism. And the youth of a colonized country growing up in an atmosphere of shot and fire may well make a mock of and does not hesitate to pour scorn upon the zombies of his ancestors, the horses with two heads, the dead who rise again. Those are zombies. Those are the same thing. Those are two words for the same thing. And the jinns who rush into your body while you while you yawn. The native discovers reality and transfers it into a pattern of his customs, into the practical violence, into his plan of freedom. I think this is very much an opiate of the masses. I think it's very much that. I think it's very, very much that. Um, Have you ever heard, I think it's an interesting, and I can't remember what the inverse of it is, Um, but there's this this theory in in cultural studies um, that horror movies 
tend to take on the uh, uh, the political culture of their time. They tend really? to be reflective. So, like in the eighties, when the the big fear in the world, the big fear in America was the the communists, was the the growing wave again. These ma- we had zombie movies. We had Rise of the Living Dead. We had all of the the great Romero like zombie shit because the zombies represented this mass unthinking wave of of you know of of forces coming at you which oh. which summed up communism i think the inverse of that when you have when you have a fear of of isolation and stuff like that, i can't remember what the other one was i think we got like slasher movies mm-hmm. as a result of like the excesses of the 90s when we didn't have a unified enemy and we just were like uh, there was uncrazed violence and super predator nonsense um but there is some interesting facts to that when he keeps talking about zombies there i keep thinking of that which is not related but just interesting um but also yes this is absolutely this is talking about every uh, anyone who's being oppressed is going to find something bef- before you go to full-on revolution. You're trying to numb that. You're trying to distill that down, and this yeah. is a cultural practice that helped temper that to help help bleed off that valve, which I'm sure the colonizers were all for. Like, hell yeah, go dance. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, no, don't kill me. Please dance. <laughs> We've seen that this same violence though kept very much on the surface all through the colonial period, yet turns in the void. We've also seen that it is canalized by the emotionless outlets of dance and possession of spirits. We have seen how it is exhausted in fratricidal combats. Now the problem is to lay hold of this violence, which is changing direction. When formerly it was appeased by myths and exercised its talents in finding fresh ways of committing mass suicide, now new conditions will make possible a completely new line of action. Nowadays, a theoretical problem of prime importance is being set on the historical plane as well as the level of political tactics by the liberation of the colonies. When one can affirm that the situation is ripe for a movement of national liberation, in what form should it be first manifested? Because the various means whereby decolonization has been carried out have appeared in many different aspects. Reason hesitates and refuses to say which is true decolonization and which is false. We shall see that for a man who is in the thick of the fight, it is an urgent matter to decide on the means and the tactics to employ, that is to say, how to conduct and organize the movement. If this coherence is not present, there is only a blind will toward freedom and that with terrible reactionary risks which it entails. And, and I think that's his idea of nationalism. It's exactly it. Yeah, that yeah. there is a that there is a turn to that. And this is we're getting into a turn in the chapter, um, and that means that it's time once again for Nathan to go get more more booze to keep boozing <laughs> this up because we're also at that fun fun right around break off time that we're trying to keep you all from falling asleep yes. on us. So uh, that being said, coming back come back next week for more. Uh, I, I think less zombies. Um, more, more, uh, more reactionary possible things that may happen. Yes. That being said, bye!